Hi, I'm Dave Gibbons, and you're listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Where I come from, no woman is complete without a man. Luke. Where I come from, no Richo goes one day without quoting Amazon Women on the Moon. And Crystal. Where I come from, no one is complete without Nerd Culture Podcast. For this episode, we have a dust jacket on Bloody Waters by a friend of the show, Mr. Jason Franks. It's his, uh, his debut novel. Uh, he's released it as a ebook to start off with and we'll have a print version as well later on and uh, I think that's friggin' awesome. Uh, we'll also be uh, interviewing Jason who is a special guest at uh, Melbourne's Supernova Expo. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and talking about interviews, we also have an interview with Andrew Lewis uh, who is the author of The Liberation of Sundrian City which we covered two episodes ago. Uh, so that was pretty, pretty nice of him <laughs> to, to have an interview with us. Skyped in from Tasmania. Okay, zoom along. Let's hand over to Captain Dust Jacket, Richo. Why? Thank you, sir. You're, you're, you're keeping your trunks. <laughs> the keep is on. Captain Dust Jacket is ready to go. Notice he didn't say the trunks were on. <laughs> exactly. As we Suspect cover... is trunkless. I repeat, trunkless. <laughs> Bloody Waters by Jason Franks. <laughs> you sound like you were um, starting to read the audiobook version there. <laughs> Bloody Cha- Waters. Chapter one. <laughs> Right by David Walton. <laughs> After the beep, turn the page. <laughs> so, Bloody Waters, um, as David pointed out in the introduction, is the uh, debut novel from friend of the show, Jason Franks. Uh, it tells the story of Clarice... A guitarist, a musician who is destined for greatness, but needs a little bit of help along the way from, of course, the devil. As all great musicians do. <laughs> so we see uh, really the, the, the triumphs and tragedies of Clarissa's uh, rise to, and her band, uh, Bloody Waters, rise to the position of greatest rock band in the world. Um, with also the potential to be the greatest rock band of all time. Um, along the way, we get a very, very interesting and incredibly detailed insight into the nature of the music industry, um, with a very, very healthy spattering of um, the supernatural thrown in as well. What uh, I, I must admit, the, the first thing that appealed to me um, about this book is actually the, the prologue. With uh, the the book opens with a blues man sitting at the crossroads, having a conversation with the devil about uh, the nature of music and how it's changing, and how uh, you know your, your old school deal with the devil blues guys are, are fading away, and how rock music is going to uh, basically take up the the reins of what blues music was. And um, I must admit, it's a very good hook. Yeah, it's cool. Like it hooked me into the story quite quickly and easily. The blues man, for, I couldn't get that. The Simpsons dude out of my head. 
Oh, Bleeding Gums Murphy. Bleeding Gums Murphy, yeah. When I was sitting at the crossroads. I was just picturing Bleeding Gums Murphy sitting on the curb. <laughs> awesome. Actually, I, I must admit, I went straight to uh, Robert Johnson, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I, was uh, obvious I, went, I went to Robert Johnson from um, O Brother Where Art Thou. Ah, yes. That's where they meet. Of course, they yeah. Nice. At the, cross, yeah. At the crossroads. Yeah. 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 Yes, and then, of course, then we're, we're straight into the introduction of Clarice. And I've, I've got to say, Clarice... Um, Hooks me as a character quite quite quickly and quite easily. Um, mm. I actually became quite involved in her story right from the outset. Um, She's got personality. Yeah. And her personality is um, immediate right from the get-go. Yeah. If I have one thing... Uh, I, I, I agree, she's a, a fabulous character. If I have one thing, it's just that her journey in and of itself is not as well-defined. Um, in that, because the whole thing's a series of misadventures. Her character runs the risk of remaining one note throughout the entire um, throughout the entire novel. I'm actually going to run with what you just said. I actually think her character does remain one note mm. the entire novel, and um, this is going to be the only negative that I have to say about the book. Mm. And it's and it's kind of interesting because it might not even be a negative. The way I sort of view the world, it's I automatically assume that they're cool. That they're, a, that they're a generally a good person until I'm proven otherwise. That's basically just sort of how I sort of see the world. Um, you know, when I first met Clarice, you know, in, in literature form, absolutely hated her right from the start. Just absolutely couldn't stand her and wanted her dead. Mm. And then, unfortunately, sort of hang around for the for the rest of the, the rest of the book because, like I said, she stays one note mm. and basically doesn't change for the entire book. And she's just an out and out bitch the entire book. Mm. Now. The way I'm sort of conflicted about this about this character is that I actually do think she's um, she's quite well done in her bitchiness. Mm. She's actually believable. She's a belie- like a, a believable real person who I just unfortunately just can't stand. Mm. But yeah, so that's what I think is actually a, is a strength of the writing. I actually mm. think that she's so well written mm. for me to act to have such a strong emotional reaction to her. Yeah. Which is why I like the book. That's why I say it's a weird negative, but it's a negative nonetheless. I I loved Clarice, and if I uh, had no conscience and, and didn't care what other people thought about me, that's exactly the person <laughs> I'd like to be. <laughs> awesome. I didn't actually see her as 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 bitchy per se. It's just incredibly driven in her desire, you know, to to be an artist and um, and just just did not take crap from people she was you know it's almost like um you know she wanted to be, to be the pure artist the pure musician and she just didn't yeah. didn't want to put up with all there's of the a, crap there's a difference between not taking crap from people which is which is awesome being strong but there's also but being out and out rude yeah. like the, the scene with the waiter it's just abrupt. unnecessarily rude but that's, I, every I, single I person that pisses her. her off her reaction is something violent I will break his break his legs. I will rip off his head and, and shit in his his skull. Uh, I'll rip out his heart for his rip cage. Like it's yeah. it's always something ridiculously violent to anybody who annoys her. And let's face it, that's ninety nine percent of the population. True. I just think, I just think it's I think it's I think I, it's one note and extreme. I I agree with that. She actually yeah. is. Um, but uh, I, Jackie is not a very nice person. Yeah, but I, but lo- I, I love but that. That's, what I, find, that's oh. what I find actually quite appealing about her because, yep. you know, let's face facts, a lot of rock musicians, they're not nice people. They're control freaks. But, they're she's, but she's like that they're... before she becomes famous. True, but like, that's part of what drives her, own, her to become her own famous. Parents. But that's part of, part of how she gets where she is. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah. that's the thing. I, I mean, I say I'm, I'm, so I'm agreeing with you. I mean, her yeah. drive and her egotism and 
and the, the, her belief in being the best mm. is what gets her where she is. And that mm. all makes perfect sense to me, and I, mm. I love it. I think she, that she's awesome for it. I just think it just slides a little too far across into mm. unnecessary... I don't know. I don't know if I really explain it. No, 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 you are. It's, it's just where coming, yeah, yeah. coming from. It's, it's, the, it's the thing that I had, problem that I had with her as a character, just nothing, um, nothing, not showing anything about her away from that. Yeah. Um, well, she really has nothing away from that. She's so driven by well, it. Well, I think that part of that is yeah, the enigmatic enigmatic quality of the character. She never really gives much away about herself, and yeah. a lot of it's probably a bit of a front. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I do like the, the bit right at the end where she writes the book. Um, yes, the and, science fiction book. Yeah, yeah, and and the and the interviewer is like, it's like, oh, is this? Are we? Oh, no, no. She, oh, no, no, no. And she and Reese is the, the album that goes with it, and she actually sings for the first time. Yeah, mm. and um, and the interviewer is like, it's like, oh, is this new facets of your personality? And it's like, you're sort of, this is the inner you sort of stuff. And she says, and she says something like. Uh, no, I just just sound. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like there's no there's no yeah. inner meaning. It's just it's just me, and I, that that's the I'm point I think where it, which is which is quite clearly a front. Yeah, which is like yeah, yeah. I just don't want to give anything away. Yeah, but anyway, I've, I've digressed a bit too far. Yeah. Well, what I, I must admit, what, what appealed to me most about this book was actually the the look at the music industry. Mm. Yeah. Um, because uh, there's a there's a certain tongue in cheek nature to this book. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a laugh out loud. Kind of comedy, but oh, it is. I definitely did during the yeah. Wiccan bit. The Wiccan, uh, the Wicked bit, yes. The, hilarious. When, when she the Wiccan, that is hilarious. But um, <laughs> the confrontation the, the of the dog show. Um, oh god! But I just, I, I love the way that um, he's mixed the actual like history of the music industry from sort of the nineties and into the two thousands with. Basically, the supernatural. I mean, I can fully understand the idea of, uh, you know, Britney Spears as a succubus. <laughs> um, and, you know, those sort of good Charlotte wannabe type bands being actual demons. And... Oh, so you saw them as, uh, no, not the good, the, the, the... heathen bat. Um, yeah, the heathen. No, not, not, not heathen. Yeah, I remember when, um, oh, when Johnny has in... the meeting yeah, with the, yeah. there's the pop country pop girl and yeah. there's the. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw those, those people in sort of a good Charlotte kind of way, but. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's not, not the take that group. Yeah, that she just slams at the party. Yeah, no, not the take that group. No. I do, I do love what she does to the DJs. Yeah, um, but really, it is. Um, yeah, be, being a, a big fan of rock music and seeing the decline of rock music from the late nineties, sort of through the two thousands, I, I really that part of the book just really resonated with me, and I was. Uh, you know, I would love to see an actual band like Bloody Waters emerge <laughs> and, and to have a resurgence in rock music actually happen. So Yeah, so I want I want the soundtrack album. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what I what I liked about that, I actually have zero like almost zero knowledge of the music industry and how it all works and all that sort mm. of stuff. I just you know, I hear a song I like and that's simple as where it it's where it ends. Yeah. Um and but Jason quite clearly has either a lot of lot of knowledge beforehand about this industry or he's mm. done a lot of research for it because um, I actually found myself as a bit of a tester because I was like, this guy actually either really knows his stuff or he's faking it. Yeah. Right? So I actually did look some of this sort of stuff up. Yeah. You know, I did a bit of the Wikipedia searching and stuff and it's all spot on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, and I'm convinced that he actually just knows all this stuff because mm. he actually plays guitar himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he says... He actually thanks his three guitars, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he thanks yeah. his guitars. He's up, but he mentioned, uh, he actually mentioned when he was on the show, because uh, he's been in the show, um, and uh, he, uh, he mentioned the story about how he was the, he met that guy at the convention, the, the, yeah. the guitarist and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, so he's a guitarist himself, yeah. and, and uh, he's, he's death of knowledge. 
is just is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. But it doesn't really he doesn't well. he doesn't bog the story down in it though. Like when he's talking about the details of playing guitar and the parts of a guitar and things like that. Yeah. Um, and no point was I sitting there thinking, I just don't care. Like, exactly. He, he really does just balance it out. And it was like you were learning stuff. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's like it's learning stuff and do. having fun. I That's know. Right. We're entertained <laughs> and learning. And, um, and his writing style... It's like style, Rumble Room. His writing style actually flows quite uh, naturally. Yeah. Like, there's no... Um, there, there's no there, he's got a good economy of language, which I know yeah. I talk about a lot when we do our dust jackets, but um, it's good to see modern writers actually employing economy of language nicely. Um, but to balance that out, probably what, the, um, certainly in this draft, what could what could he have used was a bit more of a proofread. Um, just someone, and not to the extent where the language... The spelling is, mistakes? Not, not spelling mistakes, but typos that should have been picked up. Yeah, there's a couple of typos. Like, like you know, the gets used repeated a couple of times, and just a, a bit more of a little a general proofread to help make some of to help tighten up take take out the typos, tighten up some of the um the more longer passages. The strength I think that he has as a writer is his dialogue. Yeah. He's Especially the dialogue for Satan. Yes. He actually did a really good blog blog post recently about dialogue. Mm. If you go to jasonfranks.com. That's where um it all that's really where it started the single way. You've got the characters coming out, but none of it they don't actually the dialogue doesn't actually explain anything. All you just, all you get really is you know reactions of characters, so that all the dialogue gives you what you know is what the character would be doing. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, particularly the exchange, not just the fact that the devil's a well-written character, but the exchanges between Clarice and the devil, mm-hmm. the back and forth, the the one the the constant one-up that they're trying to get in their very few exchanges on each other. Um, first of all, it shows just how gutsy Clarice is because she's not backing down. Even, she won't back down even from the devil. And towards the end, the devil even acknowledges that that she's someone not to be messed with. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought I, that I was the totally agree. Except for the bits when I think they like, think it's sort of taken a bit overboard, and she's she's actually more rude than anything mm. else. It's but uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with what he's. I think the, mm. the the dialogue exchanges are excellent. Yep. My favorite is actually the bit where. Um, the the record manager guy is trying to convince them to sort of change their look and their sound mm. and sort of stuff, and they go along with it. Yeah, because at first yeah. she's kind of she's stunned that anybody would even suggest such a thing, mm. but then they sort of they subtly go along with it. And actually, I thought they were going along with it. I was like, <laughs> this is weird. What are they going along with this for? This is bizarre. Yeah. And then by the end of it, they're just like, get yep. the f out. Yeah. You're, 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, you're, you're fired. fired. By the way. Yeah. Get out! It, um, uh, I just uh, that was that was the moment where I fell in love with Johnny actually because mm-hmm. up until this point I thought Johnny's who play, who's her boyfriend mm-hmm. um, is pretty a uh, pretty one note character really. He's basically just there to sort of he's there for, serve the story to, and sort of make serve. make it so it's just not so centric on her mm-hmm. um, and sort of give some sort of uh, sort of connection to the rest of the band who basically mm-hmm. are nothing no no, no characters. Um, but this this is the moment where I thought he just he just really stepped up and mm-hmm. and became a character for me mm-hmm. and I was like. And then, of course, he actually gets his own little sort of subplot, yeah, sort of later on and stuff. Which he I goes awesome. and forms his own band. But yeah. Yeah. Johnny's actually there to serve the supernatural element of the story. He's yeah. the one when because that's the thing we also should talk about with this. Yeah, we definitely will. The um the the use of the supernatural. Um, he's the one who actually becomes Clarice's protector. Yeah, because mm. he's the only one who can work spells and um, actually bring forth demons and cast right that does, and do all the stuff and, and he's the punishes. one that, he's the one that summons the devil mm. in the first place exactly right yeah. he, he introduces the supernatural element because mm. Clarice mm. has no ability of her own yeah yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, the supernatural element it, to me is the, my favourite bit of the book is my sort of overall part of the book mm. because like I said uh, like I said in the last episode where I was talking about Millennium um, I really love that sort of supernatural biblical sort of mm. biblical mm. sort of supernatural element to things 
And uh, yeah, when the devil first appears, I was like, well, obviously that's going to happen because of the you know yeah. the devil from the start. Which, like you said, that excellent opening, the prologue and stuff. Um, and I was, I was just hooked, hook, line, and sinker. I was in. I, I do want to give a special uh, shout out to the um, what's he the um, Polish. See, the, 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 the Polish Polish Jewish um, <laughs> Archbishop <laughs> Mafia Don. Yeah, he's actually called the 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 Archbishop the Arch Don. Yeah, the Arch Don. Um, yeah, it's just hilarious. Like yeah. his appearance <laughs> and Clarissa's response to that, I think, yeah. was uh, was actually one of the laugh out loud moments yeah. uh, for me. Um, the I, I think the story's at, at times a little episodic. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was and, and the look that that can be a strength and it can be a weakness. Um, in in this case, it was just, you know, some of the episodes I thought were fantastic. I loved the the old guitarist um, who wanted to prove that he was the best. Mm. I I thought that the the conflict with the DJ, the supernatural conflict with the Axel, DJ, Axolotl I thought, or whatever his with name uh, was. DJ Axolotl, yeah. um, DJ was probably Axel. the the weakest of the stories for yeah. me. Um, in that his motivation for what he was doing was just kind of, just kind of there. So could have been um, fleshed out a bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But then I did love, you know, the 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 her their interaction with the mafia don. Yeah, and then of course with the archbishop, uh, Polish Jewish mafia don. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> character I think was and just the angels gold. and the appearance of the angels was just fantastic. So yeah, um, and that was probably my. For me, what is for me the key weakness of the of the novel, which is because it's very episodic, um, it ultimately doesn't quite lead to um a, to a resolution of some kind, and so the ending. You I mean you're expecting, of course, Clarice and the Devil to meet at the end. That's clearly what the outset is going to be. But um, their exchange and their confrontation left me feeling a bit anticlimactic. Anticlimactic. Okay. Really? Mm. Like it's sort of going. You know, it it makes sense. I understand what I understand what's going on, but instead of something a bit more, I, I you, you're not going to have a big epic fight between the two, but something a bit more emotional, just something building up to that point. You don't think her forsaking her her boyfriend, the only person she actually loves in the world, in order for power is given emotional? given that the given that the plot um, such as such as it is. Uh, relies more on vignette stories getting up to that point. No, if yeah. there'd been a more of a an emotional through line, yes. Yeah. Well, I agree. <laughs> I just wanted to lead to it. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually, I actually don't understand why John is with her at all. Because mm. there's really there's no love there at all in anything. There's not a single um, scene where I thought these guys are in love. I think he just hands around just because he 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 loves her mm. and mm. so wants to protect her and stuff. But she loves nothing more than a guitar. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, final thoughts and votes. Okay. Well, even though I actually, I, I now reflecting on everything I've just said, I sound kind of negative. I actually really, really enjoyed this book. Actually, it was a lot of fun. It had basically stuff that I, I mean, I know nothing about the music industry, and now I think I actually now I do. It's like I've learned something. Um, I didn't think I would be interested at all, but I was based just on the strength of, of Jason's writing. And I just I absolutely adore that biblical supernatural type stuff. I mean, the devil was there and conversing and awesome, awesome stuff. I especially like the epilogue with uh, the devil walking down the street with Reese, you know, his, well, I actually, well, revealed to be his agent. And, I was actually hoping that it would be with Bad Jack Saunders. Yeah, that's how, that that's that because the, the story had started off there. Mm. Um, the bookend would have been you know a final conversation between the two. I thought the same thing. Um, but I liked I liked the way it ended. Mm. So I was like, um, yes, yeah, so I, I really really enjoyed it, and I'm going to give this four looks. This is an enjoyable an enjoyable novel, and you know, 
um, I didn't hate reading it. Hmm. I didn't think it was um, electrifying, but it's certainly entertaining, and if you do read it, it's well worth the time. You'll have a lot of fun. Um, I give this three looks. Um, as much as David loathed the, the, the Clarice character, I loved the Clarice character. Like I said before, um, if I had no conscience or anything, that'd be who I'd want to be. Um, I don't know that I'd like to be her friend, but I love the character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just um, she made the whole book for me. That meant that you know, I didn't want to put the book down at any stage. I just kept reading and reading, and I love being involved in her world. And and I just, I give this book four and a half looks. Cool. Um. Yeah. Look, I. This book for me was just thoroughly entertaining. I just really enjoyed reading it. It was a lot of fun. Um, look, it's it, it's not you know it, it's not the you know deeply philosophical or inspiring you know change your life kind of book. But just for a book where you just you just keep reading because you just don't want to stop. Um, yeah, I thought this was fantastic, and um, I'm also going to give it four. Awesome, high praise. Now, I do, I do think it's uh, very important to point out, um, because of its awesomeness, that uh, Mr. Oh. Uh, Captain Dust Jacket himself, uh, David Richardson, is actually in the acknowledgements for this book. Yeah, so I might be a little bit biased in my. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't give it. A, but... If you'd given it a straight five, hmm. I would have said, come on. But no, yeah. that's fine. No, um, yes, no, that was actually. I, I didn't know that uh, I was going to get an acknowledgement at the end, but. Um, that was good to see. And look, I, I must admit, um, you know, being a friend of Jason's, I have actually um, seen how he's developed as a writer over the years. Mm. Um, but honestly, even even so, I was actually still surprised by how much I enjoyed this this novel. Like I said, I may be a little biased, so just stick to what everybody else said when they said it was also good. <laughs> <laughs> we were fans of his work. And uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned for later in the episode with an interview with uh, Jason from Supernova. Um, now that uh, so, Bloody Waters is available electronically through uh, Amazon. Uh, for if you've got a Kindle or the Kindle app, uh, so get it. We'll have the link on the on the post. And if you don't, Amazon provides them for free. That's a, certainly how I got my Kindle app for my um, my computer. Yeah, yeah. So the Kindle app itself is for free, mm-hmm. um, or if you actually own a Kindle itself, uh, download the book. Um, it's it's cheap and it's uh, worth every cent. And, and keep an eye on Jason's uh, website as well for when the uh, print copies will become available. Too. Yeah, exactly right. Cool. So that's uh, Dust Jacket. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, yes, Captain thank Dust you Jacket. much, everybody. And coming up next, we'll have some interviews. Okay, so I'm David, and I'm here with Mr. Jason Franks, the author of the book that you just heard us review, Bloody Waters. G'day, Dave. <laughs> G'day, Jason. Thanks very much for joining us, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, Bloody Waters, you haven't heard the review yet, obviously, because it's on this episode, but uh, it was very favourable. It was an average of uh, four out of five. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, I loved it. I'm a big fan. Your dialogue is just is out of this world. Absolutely magnificent <laughs> Thanks, stuff. Um, especially, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the interactions between um, Clarice and Satan. Um, uh, yep. Great, great stuff. Um, what made you decide to do a book? What sort of gave you that idea? Um, well, original genesis of the story, the idea was... Um, there was an anthology that I was trying to get a short story in, which was meant to be about witches. And so I was thinking, 
talking about witches and they're like well there's kind of two kinds of witches there are your satanic witches yeah. and there are your kind of new agey Wiccan witches yeah. so obviously there's a chapter in the book called the Wiccan Witch of the West which is bread which is so that was the that was that was all I was at first. It was just a short story I was trying to I was trying to sell to an anthology. Yeah. And um, I was looking for a character to bounce these kind of ideas of of having those two kind of witches in conflict off. And I was like, oh, I want to do I want to do a book about a, a female guitarist. And you know, the witch is always a, is always a woman. So I'm like, and, and the guitarist is always a guy. So I thought I'd flip that. Yeah. So she's the guitarist and. This, the boyfriend is the witch. Yeah. And that's kind of part of the twist to that that story and that chapter. What really, uh, what really impressed yeah. me about this book is your the depth of knowledge that you have about the music industry. Because um, actually, I know nothing about the music industry. So after reading some passages from your book, I'd look up those that sort of the sort of the facts that you sort of gave in the book, all spot on. How do you know all this stuff? What's what's going on? I read a lot of guitar magazines. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was a, I was a really big music nerd. Uh, I guess I still am a really big music music nerd. Yeah. Um, I was never much of a musician. I do play the guitar, but not not in public, where, or not where anyone can can hear me. <laughs> um, but I was just really into it, um, and um, I guess you know one of one of the one of the driving factors in the book. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this book was. Um, I was angry about the way that the music industry runs yeah. and the way like all your favorite bands always disappoint you in, in some regard they release a Christmas album or they do some stupid thing or they, they do the power ballad or whatever and I was like I want to do a book about a band that will never disappoint me just doing it for the dollars yeah, yeah. you know they just they really are about the music first and foremost and you know um, I just wanted to do a story about people with integrity yeah and um you know, stories about deal with the devil are always about the opposite. They're about selling out. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. Like, how can I balance those two things? Like, is there a situation where going to the devil for a deal is a way of protecting your integrity? And that's what the book is about. Because she's powerful. I mean, Clarice is powerful enough on her own without the deal from the devil. I mean, she only gets takes the deal from the devil in order to get out of the, the jam with the, that shonky... God. Right. You know, usually a deal with the devil is someone who doesn't have the talent yeah. and wants to make it. And they she's make got it. the talent. She's got right. The so she starts off with the talent, yeah. um, but she's just too strong a personality to um, she do what she needs to to close the deal. She won't compromise on it. Yeah. Gets herself blacklisted. Yeah. Um, she is pushed into it. So it's like, well, all right, well, if these guys are going to be a bunch of scum, I'm going to go to the devil because yeah. can he be any worse? <laughs> It says that he's not. I actually think the devil has a bit of a thing for her. Is there, can you confirm or deny? Um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the, the book really, in, in its way, is as much about the devil as it is about Clarice. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a hidden character, and he does pop up every now and again. But, yeah. um, I mean, if you know my other stuff, I'm very interested in that yeah. That kind of character. Because you are, of course, the author of uh, The Six Myths which is uh, one of my favourite comics ever. And uh, I'm a black who can't die, so I mean, you, you, sort of, you sort of lean towards the supernatural anyway. Yeah, you know, the six myths is about devil worship. Is, um, but, of course, the devil never appears in that book because it's no. a religious satire. It's not a supernatural That's comedy. Right. But, um, you know, I think he's a really one of the most fascinating figures in literature. Yeah. And um, I thought I had a, a bit of a unique spin on it. So, How many times have you read Dante's Inferno? 
Just once. Oh, gee. <laughs> I would have thought it would be, with your knowledge, I would have thought it would be multiple, multiple. Times. So Clarice, let's talk about Clarice. She's a fascinating character. Um, I actually said in my review that I actually couldn't stand her. I actually don't like her. Yeah. And what I, what I tried to say, I don't know if I came across very well, but basically the fact that I hated her so much, I thought was a strength of your writing to create a character so believable that uh, I, I could just get that sort of emotional reaction. Well, I mean, kind of my thing... One of my things, I guess, as a writer, is I like to do. I look. I like to look at unsympathetic characters. Yeah. Um, I write a lot of villains or antiheroes. I guess Clarice is kind of an antihero. Yeah. And I knew I was pushing it. Though know, I, you know, I know she's an abrasive character. Um, you know, I just I wanted, to, but I wanted something truthful. And I yeah. think if you're going to be a, a kind of rock musician who's going to make the kind of decisions that she has, she can't be a nice. No, yeah, she's not a nice guy. She's, is she based on anybody you know? And don't say me. <laughs> um, she's not based on any single person. Bloody what has it been nominated for an Orialis Award? Uh, yes, it has. It was a big surprise. Yeah, it's absolutely magnificent stuff. It's, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the Orialis Awards. Um, so the Orialis Awards are, um, I guess, affiliated with Orialis Magazine, which is Australia's longest-running genre fiction magazine. Uh-huh. Orialis, I guess, is I guess is the equivalent of the Nebulous. Okay. So it's science States. fiction, fantasy, horror. There are awards for each genre in uh, each different di- different category. Which so most of the categories are to do with the length of the book. So Bloody Waters is up for best horror novel, and there's also best science fiction, best fantasy. And then there's uh, best science fiction, fantasy, and horror novellas. And then short story categories. There's a graphic novel category, uh, and a variety of stuff like that. Okay. And how, how many other novels is up against? How many people do I have to bump off so you can win? Um, <laughs> so Bloody Waters is up against three other novels yeah. by two other writers. What? Um, <laughs> is, so that th- is that cheating? <laughs> No, uh, Jason Darling got nominated twice for, wow. for Blood and Dust and for Salvage. Yep. So I guess you could say he's the favourite. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kirsten McDermott is nominated for Perfections. Right. So th- those are the four books that are on the ballot. I know Jason and Kirsten, they are lovely people, um, super talented writers. I've only read one of one of the other books that uh, Bloody Waters is up against. It's an absolute cracker. Um, I own the others, so I just haven't read them yet. So I guess um, I mean, so at least it's, it's good competition. It's like, so it's, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's an honour to be nominated, and at least you know you're up against other quality novels as well. Uh, you know, to be even even listed with those guys is, is fantastic. I really, like, I didn't think I'd be on the on the radar for Alice at all this year. I was not expecting a nomination. So. Um, you know, it's been fantastic. Yeah. So as we mentioned in the review, it's originally out as an e-book, but you actually now got the, the uh, print copies as well. I bought yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, it's just coming to print this week. Yeah. Um, it's not in any stores yet, but it is available on Amazon, and um, I think it's on the uh, Possible Press website as well, possiblepresspublications.com. A lot of people say, where's the best place for them to buy the book? For me. Um, like, from my point of view. Yeah, so that you get... Um, and it's, it's kind of... It's just whatever you prefer. Uh, if you buy it off, off Possible Press, then I get more money. And if you buy it off Amazon, then I get ratings. So, 
be the way it works. Um, you know, it's a very distinctive colour. It, it looks very familiar to the artist. So the artist is Reese James, yes. who uh, has done a number of other covers for me. I think he's done four covers for me. Um, he's a good mate of mine. I've known him for years, and he just absolutely killed it on that cover uh, for Bloody Waters. I get people people commenting on it all the time saying I wish he'd done that cover for me and I don't know why because it's my character in my book but um, it's a lovely bit of art and um, I was absolutely stoked with it. Awesome and do you have uh, any uh, follow-up book plans? I am uh, just about to start trying to sell my second novel now uh, which is a fantasy novel. Awesome. so I'm just just finally cleaning it up. I've been working on that one for about the same amount of time as Bloody Waters. I started them both more or less the same time. Um, it's just been very difficult. It's a very different kind of book. Yeah. And uh, we have the Six Miss Volume Two should be should be available this year. Very cool. Um, I think it's going to be serialized on Comixology first and then collected. Okay. Um, so what actually, what did, why did you decide to become a writer? I don't know. I, um, when I was a little kid, my parents were always reading, and um, I was very keen to learn how to read. And then once I learned how to read, I liked it so much that I was like, I want to, I want to write for other people to read. Because the only thing I can think of that might be better than reading is, is writing. Yep. So, um, Here you are. Here I am. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what inspires you? Um, I guess it's probably different for every project. Like I said, for Bloody Waters, it was... Um, well, I mean, the, the initial idea was, was from that anthology, but the real inspiration for it was um, anger with the way that the music industry was behaving. So a lot of times it's um, something that makes me angry or something that interests me. Um, for comics, it might be... Uh, if I have the opportunity to work with a particular artist, then their work will inspire me. Um, it might be something I see on the news, or it might be... Often what it is is I, I read a book, or I see a movie, and I go, I didn't like that, how would I have done it? And then if I think, oh, that's quite an interesting story that I've not seen someone else do, then sometimes that will become uh, that will become a new project. Can you redo Sucker Punch? Because that's terrible. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> Don't waste your time. I would have to see it first. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, do you have any favourite authors? I have a lot of favourite authors. My favourite authors are people like Roger Zelazny, Cormac McCarthy, Elmer Leonard, Ursula Le Guin, George R. R. Martin, um, James Elroy, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, Steinbeck. Um, there's a lot of really good local authors. I think in Australia right now there's a really, really strong crop of genre writers coming up. People like, I mentioned Jason Nara and Kirsten McDermott already. Uh, Jason Fisher, Narelle Harris, uh, Lee Battersby. There's some really, really good quality stuff. Of course, Karen Warren, Margot Lanigan. Just some really magnificent, original, beautifully written work. Um, and you should check it out. Uh, so you're obviously very well read. Do you, uh, do you have any favourite books or stories? Do I have any favourite books or stories? One of my favourite collections of short stories is um, Portraits of His Children by George R. R. Martin. An amazing array of um, science fiction, fantasy, horror. And you just get to see what a versatile uh, versatile writer Martin really is. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, I read that, that when I was in high school. And that still is, to me, one of the most solid... Like, there's not a dud story in that. 
every story in there is just an absolute jewel. Awesome. Well, um, that's that's all the time we've got. So it's uh, been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Likewise. And uh, all the success. So fingers crossed for a victory. Uh, thank you very much. It's nice to be nominated. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks for having me, David. Well, that was Jason Franks, uh, recorded at Supernova Expo. Uh, next up, we have Ander Lewis, the author of The Liberation of Sundrian City. Okay, so I'm here with Ander Lewis, the author of The Liberation of Sundrian City, that we uh, reviewed uh, a couple of episodes back. Hello there. How you doing? I'm great. I'm very happy to be on this show. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for taking the time to Skype in from uh, sunny Tasmania. Yeah, it's beautiful today here. I'm looking out my window at um, Sandy Bay. Oh, that's awesome. Sandy Bay is a nice spot. Nice spot, yeah. It's awesome. Well, um, I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed the review. <laughs> I just like it when people talk about me. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very egotistical person. Like, Ooh, people are discussing me. <laughs> that's not. That's not really egotistical. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> cool. Right, so, yeah. hi, Crystal. I understand, Crystal. <laughs> yes, Crystal is also with us. Hello, Ender. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get to it. Why did you decide to become a writer? All right, yeah, um, I was a musician all my teenage years. You know, I picked up a bass guitar at about 12, and I was in a band for a long time. And that band broke up, and I was very heartbroken over that. Oh. You know, after, I think it was seven years or something, I was in that band. And I just wanted something else creative, um, but I wanted to do it by myself, you know? I didn't want to be in a group. Mm-hmm. So I thought about solo music and all that kind of, you know, but I didn't really have the talent for singing or playing guitar. So I decided to do writing because um, I've always written yep. all life, but I just never really considered it something that I wanted to do, you know, as a, for a living until I was about, you know, I think I was about 23 or 4. Wow, so uh, three or four years ago and uh, you've, already, you've already got your debut novel out. Yeah, I skipped the whole going to uni process and thought I'll just do it by myself. I'm very stubborn like that. But um, when I was in high school, you know, my teachers all said I had to be a writer, particularly my English teacher. And in the parent-teacher interview, she started crying when I told her I didn't want to be a writer. No. I told her that writers were um, kind of boring people. You know, like, I wanted to be a rock star, you know. Like, Sounds very boring. Uh, and then, you know, years later, that kind of was like, oh, well, apparently I'm good at writing. And I had all these stories in my head that, were just kind of sitting there waiting to be told, so I started telling them. And so, and you released them as uh, e-books, uh, a few short stories, yeah, yep. and the, the novel. Very cool. I um, I spent a month writing the plot for that novel before I started writing it. Right. And it was really that first book, The Liberation of Sundering City, is just kind of a, a proving ground for me to. I, while I wrote that, I was learning how to write, basically. And so, what sort of what inspired the story behind Liberation? The story is kind of a, a a metaphor, I suppose. You know, it's about escaping that wall, you know. Mm-hmm. So that wall is a metaphor for anything that's kind of restricting you in your life that you might be scared to to, to breach that. And a lot of people have different ideas of what, what it's meant to represent, which is interesting. Some people said, oh, that book's definitely about the Berlin Wall. Yeah, I can, mm-hmm. see, I can see that. Which is not, but yeah, I like that yeah. people thought that. Yeah. Well, other people said it's about people that are um, they never travel outside their own country and they don't broaden their mind, sort of thing. 
Yeah, that they don't experience the outside world. They believe what's being told to them about what's out there and, and don't try to investigate for themselves. Exactly. So I think on the base level, it's about challenging sort of the barriers in your own mind and trying to get outside of those and you know see what else there is outside of that. And uh, I've got to ask, why uh, elephants? Because uh, awesome. Elephants, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they're not awesome. It's just an interesting choice. Yeah. I just read a lot about elephants and they're very emotional creatures and I like that. I like that their emotions relate very closely to human emotions so you can kind of humanize them in a way very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, like elephants, you know, they cry when they see one of their family that they haven't seen for a while. I think that's really beautiful. Mm. Uh, and they revisit the graves of other elephants after they die and they, you know, get all sad and they, you know, I think there's a lot of things that they do that is very close to what humans do. So writing about it, it's easy to stir those emotions in the reader, hopefully. And also that stuff about war elephants is is based on sort of actual history. A trained elephant, when you ride it, you have more control over that than, say, a horse or, you know, whatever else you might ride. Mm -hmm. You really could tell an elephant to, you know, pick up that thing and throw it or whatever. I think it was really cool. So yeah. I just kind of expanded on that and made it a little more, you know, fantastical, where the the rider can almost connect with the elephant and control it a hundred percent. But you know, it was only a slight embellishment on what actually happened. Um, like I said in the review, my favourite bit was the end of chapter twenty-one. Um, did you where it's the instrument that uh, Remy uses is finally revealed for what it is? Oh. Yeah, did you? Did you? I don't want to. Just think, I don't want to give it away just as a spoiler. <laughs> but uh, um, did you know how cool that scene was as you were writing it? I was like, this is. I mean, this, this is going to knock their socks off, sort of stuff. I did know that, and I, I, I liked that. That was kind of the first chapter told from someone else's perspective, mm-hmm. and um, I kind of switched up subtly the, the writing style because now it's being seen from her point of view rather than his. Yep. And so the whole chapter is. Um, uh, the tone of it is utterly different, and I think it, yeah, I think it works really well. Cool. But she's just angry, you know. She, she's she hates her dad. <laughs> yeah. The cover is magnificent. Did you actually? Uh, the, who was the uh, artist again? It was Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy Manton. Is he is he a friend of yours? Uh, yeah, actually, I went to um, high school with Jimmy Manton. Oh, awesome. I was really happy to work with Jimmy on that on that uh, cover. That's yeah. It, it is a great cover, and we gave we gave him a shout out on the show. So pass that on if you ever see, if you still talk to him. Yeah, I don't know actually know if he does illustrations or not now because he was illustrating for um, some card like you know Magic the Gathering sort of cards. Yep. I don't think it was that, but it was you know that kind of thing. That's uh, awesome. And then when I contacted him, he said, "Oh, I don't do that anymore. I'm an architect." So I kind of had to like beg him to to do an illustration for me. Uh, I, I designed the cover and I knew exactly what I wanted and um, there's this really funny picture that I made in Photoshop of the <laughs> cover, a mock-up yep. and you've kind of got like, you know, the guy in the middle, a cutout of Snape. <laughs> the guy on the left is that guy from 300 and um, I think the, the kid in the middle is like Orlando Bloom <laughs> and then there was all notes about it, like it should be a bit like Snape but he's more like this and a whole character description. Yeah. And then the, the elephants fighting down the bottom was just like stick figures of two elephants with the words like <laughs> battle written over it. <laughs> it's uh, really funny. Uh, what about Liberation are you the most pro- proud of? You, you know, that book took two years to 
to write in which, you know, I saved up money to do that. Uh, and I did everything myself. The, the whole project, just the fact that I finished it, yeah. Uh, without any sort of guarantee that it would make any money, or that it would even that people would even like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you when you work full time on a project for two years with no uh, guarantee that it's even going to be a success, uh, the discipline, you know, you got to uphold this sort of uh, delusion of grandeur long enough to finish the project. Like, yeah, people are gonna like this. <laughs> Every second day, one day you wake up and you're like, "Why am I doing this? This is a terrible story. What am I doing?" And then the next day you're like, "Oh, this is going to be the best book." <laughs> but it's about sticking to it. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the discipline that's required to do that. That's what I'm proud of because, um, yeah, that's a real battle. That's a, and I think any artist that sticks through a project to the end, you know, just doing that, that is a, a huge amount of respect for that. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, that was one of the things we said in our review. It's just, it's Finishing just, is an accomplishment. The fact that it's actually there on the shelves at Minotaur, you know what I mean? People were talking about it. People love it. I mean, I've seen, I mean, I've seen reviews on your on Facebook, on your blog, and Amazon and stuff like that. And you know, people people just uh, really seem to be embracing the uh, embracing the book, and that just that that's what it's all about. Like yeah. um, when someone contacts me and said they enjoyed reading it, mm. it's like you know, you write these things just to give someone some entertainment or some escape from their life. Hmm. And when you succeed in that, even if they don't like it, the fact that they read it and were entertained while they were reading it, that's that's everything, you know, that's why you do it. Give hmm. them something to talk about. Give them something to distract them from their life. Yeah. If it they is. need that. <laughs> <laughs> we all do at some point. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So, uh, so you do have a, f- a follow-up coming up. It's called a, a Do It for Swans. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can, yeah. Um, the Duet for Swans is it's a fantasy as well, but it's a little different from the Liberation. The Liberation is more of a Harry Potter or, you know, the Hobbit, that kind of thing, yep. style of fantasy, where uh, a Duet for Swans is a lot more, uh, more, more like Miyazaki films. Uh-huh. Um, so like Spirited Away and... Spirited Away, yeah, yeah if you know Studio Ghibli, Howl's Moving Castle... That kind of it's a different feeling, a different tone to the story. It's a lot more sentimental and whimsical, and uh, it's kind of got an air of nostalgia. So the story is told by uh, the main character is a girl, and it's kind of been told by her as if she's reliving to you a memory from her childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's telling, even if it's a trying time or a difficult time, it's all told with this air of like nostalgia to it, like she's reliving a fond memory. It's cool. a very different style of the book. It's about a um, a young sorcerer who travels across the land on a on a flying tugboat, uh, and he's looking for the ocean. And it's told by the girl who goes with him. You know, she refuses to let him leave alone. And I wrote this book in two weeks. Wow! As opposed to the two years that it took to write the first one. Wow! And basically, I finished my first one, and I was coming up to the launch of it, and I was just so stressed and anxious about, you know, will people like it and all that, and I just needed some escape. Hmm. And you know, I could have watched movies or you know gone to plays or you know read books, but I just felt, you know, if I just create this escapism for myself by writing, maybe that feeling will come across to the readers. Yep. Uh, and I think it does. It's a, it's, a, it's a book that you read, and it's kind of like, it's got this instant nostalgia to it, and it's got, like, this happy place sort of feeling to it. Everyone needs a happy place, I think, <laughs> at some point, you know. 
that's why anyone creates art, I think. A bit of escapism. Do you have any favourite authors yourself? You know, Roald Dahl is something that was read to me as a kid. Uh, uh, and then as an adult, I started reading his, his adult books. Yep. And it just kind of clicked that, oh my God, I'm a Roald Dahl fan. Like, <laughs> I never really realised how many of his books I liked until that point as an adult when I looked up his books and was like, oh, that's by him and that's by him. Yep. All my favourite childhood books. He is a genius. Uh, he's right up there. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular books or stories that you that you really like? Yeah, there is. There's, there's actually heaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, don't go, don't go through them all, but just... Uh... Harry Potter series. Yep. Was a big inspiration for my first book. Cool. Um, the Miyazaki films were a big inspiration for my second book. Mm. And Tim Winton's stories are... more When I write more for an adult audience, it's very strongly influenced by him. Dirt Music is uh, my favourite book by him. That's, that's really great. Awesome. Okay, so when you're when you're not uh, slaving over the typewriter, what what are you doing? The typewriter. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought I'd go old school. Uh, I was slaving over the the computer keyboard. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> computer. <laughs> I upgraded. All right, <laughs> uh, just very quickly, are you PC or Mac? Um, for writing, Mac. I use a MacBook Yay. Air, the little, the cheapest, littlest MacBook Air, and I would recommend that to anyone. Yeah, MacBook Air is awesome. I've got one for work. Well, I'm very much PC, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the podcast does get edited on a Mac. Well, that is true. So, back, so back to the questions: so What when you're not writing, what are you doing? Oh, um, I, I'm a bit of a wanderer. I do a lot of walking, you know, hours per day, and I think that's part of the creative process, maybe, or just to clear my head. So you... yeah, I, I walk, I jog. Yeah, I'm um, working on a YouTube series. Oh. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty exciting project. I can't really say much about it. I just got a producer signed on who funded this whole idea that I had. It's about teaching people all the stuff that I learned self-publishing my book. Ah, oh, very cool. Kind of motivating people. Yeah. One, one thing that frustrates me, we talked before about um, the discipline needed to create a creative project uh-huh. uh, and I've got a lot of friends who just they're very talented people you know they're more talented than me in, in some cases but they just don't have the discipline to sit there and finish a, a painting or a book or whatever they do and it's a real point of frustration because like man we just want to enjoy your art if you could just sit there for a day or two and finish some freaking thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I want to just kind of help people to do that and give them the steps and the motivation to, to finish their project. So that's that's the idea behind the YouTube series. That's a really good idea. Yep, it's very cool. Uh, let us let us know when you're actually able to tell us yeah. that it's, it's up, it's up, and what it's called and stuff. It's, well, the the YouTube channel is Andrew Lewis TV, and if you look at that now, it's just an empty placeholder for that. Okay. But, um, yeah. So uh, make a note of that, Andrew Lewis TV, on the YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, go and subscribe to a blank page. And <laughs> some cool content. But it will have some content soon. <laughs> soon, maybe in six months. I don't know how long it will be. <laughs> okay, I'm going, I've come to my favourite question. Oh. Give me. This is a... This is a if you, I mean, you've, you've listened to the show, so if you've, if you've listened to any of the episodes that have an interview in it, you'll know that uh, this, this question seems to throw people. But okay. uh, I love it. And <laughs> it's become a staple of the show, right? You ready? Okay. If you were doing this interview... What would be the one question that you wanted to be asked? Cool. 
that does stump you a bit, doesn't it? It does. Hmm. Um, my upcoming events. That's what you should ask me. Awesome. Have you got uh, any upcoming events? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> they, they actually do. Um, May the 4th, I'm doing a book launch party in Hobart. And I'm combining that with a, well, I'm just being included in the triple event, which is free comic book day, Star Wars day, and the book launch. Very cool. And where is that being held? Alison Hawker Bookshop in Hobart, 90 Liverpool Street. That's going to be awesome. I've, I've, yeah, I've actually been to that store. It's a, it's a lovely store. So Hobart listeners, come to that. And also, if you're not in Hobart, still come to it. <laughs> Fly on down for the event. Why not? Is it, have you thought of uh, doing a sequel to Liberation, or is it a, a once-off deal? Um, it's, it's a standalone book, but actually the second novel, which the, the, the A Duet for Swans, um, that's part one of a series. Uh, and that series exists in the same sort of world as the Liberation. Ah, very cool. Um, so it's not related at all. There's no characters or anything that's related. But, you know, the first book is all about what's outside that city. Uh-huh. Um, that's the kind of the point. And then, you know, these follow-up books kind of, you know, they paint that picture of what's outside the city. Oh, um, that's awesome. In a way. So it's only related in that way. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's set in the same universe. Someone put an idea in my head... Um, to do a prequel sort of thing to tell Goresh's story. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, that's actually... Because he has a big backstory that is completely left out of the novel. Yeah. And I was like, that's actually a pretty cool idea because the story's there, I just have to write it. Yeah. Maybe it's a short story or something. So that's one sort of follow-up that I might do. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right, well, um, you uh, very generously offered two signed copies of The Liberation of Sundry and City to our listeners. Yes. Very exciting. All you need to do is uh, write in, either email us, tweet us, comment on the website, or Facebook post, and then just tell us you want a copy. Can't be any easier than that. Really can't. It really can't. <laughs> Signed by the author. Signed in blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, if they don't arrive signed in blood now, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm just going to use a big. Okay, fair enough. At least a red big. <laughs> Red ink, red ink will do. It'll be fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, I just uh, I, would, I want to thank you for uh, being with us on the show, Andy. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been fun. It's been it's been, it's been awesome. Very informative, and uh, it's it's just great to talk to someone who, like you said, has actually put in the effort to to get their dream out there. I mean, your dreams come true, and it, it's out there and selling, and and uh, we're uh, honoured to be a part of it. Oh, awesome! That's so nice to say. <laughs> Coming up next, coming soon. Okay, coming soon in cinemas, Australian cinemas in the next two weeks. Uh, April 18, we get Bullet to the Head. And I'm sure we're going to feel like it afterwards. <laughs> Whenever I hear that, the title of that film, I just hear that CB4. CB4, <laughs> sir. A Bullet to the Head is how I'll greet you. I'm actually interested in this from one perspective, in that it is actually um, a local comic creator. They've made the movie out of. Yeah. Um, it's probably the only good thing about it. So I'm, I'm interested in that respect. Yeah. Because, you know, it's always good to see local talent uh, doing well for themselves. Uh, the company you keep. And it won't be keeping me company. <laughs> <laughs> and on, isn't the company you keep the Weather Underground movie? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah. I'm really interested. Great cast. Um, looks like an interesting story. Hmm. My sort of thing. 
and Olympus has fallen, uh, which I've actually no! I've actually already seen. I saw a preview of it, and uh, it's it's basically the the world's biggest Die Hard homage. Basically, what Die Hard Five should have been. It's like more Die Hard than Die Hard. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was, die a, bit hard. Of, it was a bit of fun. Um, die real hard. <laughs> die, die already. Die as hard as you can. Die half past midnight. <laughs> You're all crazy. Uh, but then the following week on April 24, we get. Iron Man 3. No one else was stupid enough to release any other film in that week. <laughs> Iron Man 3 is the only film coming out that week. Um, it's Because, uh, really, you'd have to be an idiot <laughs> to try and go up against it. Um, it's going to be huge. Uh, we will actually be reviewing it in episode 49. 49. Excellent, Smithers. What's the relevance to 49? I don't know. It's one before <laughs> and one after 48. And that's as profound as I'm getting. (laughs) Cool. Okay, so to finish up, don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at at nerdculturecast. And you can also leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com you know you're getting slower every every day. Yeah, that that is almost like the Zack the Zack Snyder version <laughs> of it. www.nerdculturepodcast.com. Nice. Not bad. And don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. The iTunes. Is it not actually registered as the iTunes? No. no. I just like it because it's in Big Bang. Just like, yes, I, I downloaded it from the yeah, iTunes. The iTunes. <laughs> Hilarious. And that's it for the episode 48. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute riot. Riot. Seriously, the place has gone off. And I do apologise for the uh, the dog barking. Uh, yeah, as you can tell, the, the dog's not barking now because I went out and took care of business. We, we, uh, <laughs> we uh, spoke to the devil. We had words. <laughs> <laughs> we called Clarice. And she had... We sold our soul to shut the dog up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for me and the crew, Richo. You know, I'd sell all of your souls for my success. Yeah, I don't doubt that for a second. <laughs> Luke! Uh, I don't need to sell my soul. Double know what's coming and he better be scared. <laughs> and Crystal! Rock on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so many times while I was reading that book, I just wanted to do like the devil horns. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the characters absolutely. does it. In the... We salute you, our half-inflated <laughs> Lord of Darkness. <laughs> Brit. Bye, everybody! Bye, Bye. You'll come back now, here. Network. Network.